This is the Collector Car Podcast, the home for the auto enthusiast. Join Greg Stanley as he applies over 25 years of insights and analytical experience to the collector car market. He will interview the experts and throw in some fun stuff as well. Hey, it's Greg Stanley. If you're listening to this podcast, you know I love everything automotive. This passion has expanded to include being a car specialist consultant for RM Sotheby's. So if you need assistance buying or consigning a collector car at any one of our online or live auctions, including Scottsdale, Amelia Island, or Monterey, you can reach one of our car specialists at rmsotheby's.com or you can email me directly at gstanley at rmsotheby's.com. Metron Garage is a company designing unique garages, condos, and other structures specifically for the auto enthusiasts. They've got eight models to choose from, including two-story options, which I think is super cool, while with a very modern look and feel to them. And they come in all sizes, and they're fully customizable. You can check out them today and start specking your own ultimate garage at metrongarage.com, where you can request a catalog or talk to someone to learn more. So be sure to check it out. I just want to give a quick thanks to Euro Classics for sponsoring this episode. Euro Classics is all about collector cars, from servicing your new BMW M5 to prepping your Porsche for the racetrack to executing a total restoration on your favorite classic. They do it all from routine maintenance to performance upgrades to appraisals and everything in between. You can learn more about its owner, Dale Oaks, by listening to episode number 65 of this podcast. And you can find Euro Classics in the Kentucky, Ohio, Indiana service area and online at euroclassics.com. Classics, C-L-A-S-S-I-X dot com. Welcome to the Collector Car Podcast. All right, today I'm going to cover automotive first from 1947 until close to the present. There's so many new things that happened. This basically stops around 2002 because after that there's so many crazy new stuff it would be hard for me to capture it all. So if you missed the first episode, it was a few months ago, and I covered everything up until 1946, so be sure to go back and check that one out. So we'll just go ahead and get this kicked off. The very first Ferrari was in 1947. Now this is from Ferrari.com. Our story officially begins in 1947 when the first car built under the Ferrari mark, the 125S, drove through the historic factory gates in Maranello. Now, the pre-war 1.5-liter limit for supercharged small cars, the sub-Grand Prix category, was being adopted for post-war Formula One racing, enabling cars so equipped to compete against non-supercharged 4.5-liter cars. Equipped with a supercharger, the 1.5 V12 could be just the ticket in a Ferrari single-seater. So everybody thought Enzo was crazy by coming out with a small displacement 12-cylinder car, but he knew what the rule changes were happening soon in racing and jumped on it so the 125 was the displacement of each cylinder all right in 1948 Briggs cunningham probably the surest bet on luigi's buyers list that's luigi canetti who imported ferraris is credited as the first american to bring a ferrari to the u.s for racing the car he bought was a 1948 tipo 166 spider corsa it raced several times in 1949 then briggs drove it to first overall in May 1950. So what's interesting is this car is from 1948. and 1950, he is winning two years later. That is unheard of today that a two-year-old car could pretty much win anything. Okay, the first padded dash was in a 1948 Tucker. So the Tucker became the first car with a padded dashboard. One of the safety enhancements of the 1970s was widespread adoption of padded dashboards. The first Volkswagen to be imported was 1949. Germany's Volkswagen AG imports his first Beetle in 1949. Two cars were sold that year. 
Before its U.S. run ends in 1979, more than 5 million Beatles were sold here. Beatle worldwide sales topped 20 million units, surpassing the 15 million record set by the Model T. All right, the first lead sled was in 1949. In automotive usage, a lead sled is a standard production automobile with a body heavily modified in particular ways, especially, though not exclusively, a 1949, 1950, or 1951 model year Ford shoebox or Mercury 8 car. And the name lead, as in the heavy metal, refers to the heavy weight of the body, and sled refers to the lowering of the vehicle, giving these vehicles the appearance that they were slip-sliding down the highway. Now, when was the first muscle car? A lot of people will say the GTO, but according to Motor Biscuit, it was the 1949 Oldsmobile Rocket 88. So opinions on the original muscle car vary, but the 1949 Oldsmobile Rocket 88 is cited as the first full-size muscle car. Now, this is from Motor Biscuit. Since the new 303 cubic inch V8 was available on all old products, some enterprising buyers figured out you could order a cheap strip, stripper sedan and end up with a lightweight, fast, and sporty car. Thus, the Rocket 88 was born. Buyers instantly had a new car they could pop the hubcaps off, stick the air cleaner in the trunk, and go drag racing. And to be competitive at that, that makes it arguably the first muscle car. Now, the first car with seat belts was in 1949. It was from Nash in 1949, Ford had them in 1955, and Saab made them standard equipment in 1958, mandatory in the U.S. in 1968, along with side marker reflectors. Volvo invented the three-point seatbelt with a shoulder strap. U.S. required shoulder harnesses in 1968, but you don't see them in cars until the 1969 production year. I always like to look at the 1968 Mustang. That was the first one that had headrests as options. Uh, had seat belts as standard and side marker lights as standard. Then you look at the 1969 Mustang, and you have headrests as standard as well as a shoulder belt. All right, the first V6 engine was in 1950. The Lancia V6 engine was introduced in the 1950 Lancia Aria. Lancia had been producing V4 engines for, for approximately 30 years, and one of the key goals was to reduce the vibrations compared with the V4 engine. In 1951, Chrysler's Hydroglide... And the 1951 Imperial was the first hydraulic steering system, also known as power steering. In 1952, automatic dimming headlights showed up in Cadillacs and Oldsmobile with the Autronic Eye option. In 1952 as well, the first Mercedes-Benz was imported. Mercedes-Benz USA was founded in 1965, but Mercedes-Benz vehicles actually started being imported in 1962, 1952 under Max Hoffman. He helped cement the identity of Mercedes-Benz in America with the iconic 300SL Gullwing. By 1957, Mercedes-Benz was in the perfect position to expand in the United States. They entered the distribution agreement with Studebaker Packard Corporation. Eight years later, Mercedes-Benz USA was formed. In 1953, we have the first five-speed transmission. Most transmissions had three or four forward gear ratios, although five-speed manual transmissions were occasionally used in sports cars, such as the 1966 Ferrari 166 Inter and the 1953, the first, Alfa Romeo 1900 Super Sprint. All right, the car with the first FM radio was a 1953 FM 
Radio was patented in 1933, but Blaupunk created the first AM-FM head unit for in-car use in 1953. Also in 1953 was the first premium radio, again, made by Becker, called the Mexico. It never mentioned which cars these were actually in. I would assume some Porsches. In 1954, we have the first HVAC system. AC, heat, and fresh air began with Nash, but it wasn't until the 1964 Cadillac that the system resembles today setup. So 1954 for the actual HVAC system, 1964 for what we kind of know today as our HVAC system. Fuel injection came out in 1955. It was used in diesel engines in the 1920s, but the 1955 Mercedes 300 SL Gullwing and convertible was the first production sports car with fuel injection. For power seats, we have the 1955 Thunderbird, which had four-way adjustable seats. In 1955 as well, the first record player was available in Chrysler products, which played a proprietary 7-inch record. So imagine that, driving down, cruising down the street with your record player underneath the dash. Uh, you had to get specific records for that record player and drive really, really smooth so you didn't have any skips. For younger folks that are listening that is a version of today's MP3 downloads. In 1956, we had the first BMW that was imported to the United States. BMW first started selling its cars in the U.S. in 1956. At the time, however, if you wanted to bring home a piece of this German engineering, you had to have it shipped from overseas. Still, that didn't stop dedicated BMW fans from seeking out models like the Isetta 300 from Europe. An Australian-born car dealer named Max Hoffman, we talked about him just a little while ago, bought the rights to sell BMWs and other imported cars in the U.S. in 1954, though it didn't do him much good until 1962 when the BMW 2 Series started to become popular. In 1958, we have the first cruise control available in the 1958 Chrysler Imperial, and by 1960, it was, standard, it was a standard feature on all Cadillacs. Now, a variable transmission was first available in 1958 on a 1958 DAF600 car. I'm not familiar with that maker model. I'm assuming it's from Europe, maybe Eastern Europe. In 1960, we had auto-on headlights available in the 1960 Buick LeSabre with the Twilight Sentinel option. And in 1961, we had the first swing-away steering wheel Swing-away steering wheel was a new option introduced on the 1961 Ford Thunderbird. It was the perfect time to do it as the T-Bird had all-new styling for 1961, as well as a new Thunderbird 390 special V8 engine, and lots of formerly optional items such as backup lights, power steering, and power brakes were made standard, so the option list needed something new to offer Thunderbird's trendy customers. In 1962, we had the first Turbo. Available on the Chevrolet Corvair Monza and the Oldsmobile Jetfire. These were the first turbo-powered passenger cars and made their debut on the U.S. market in 1962 and 1963. Also, cars that had turbos early was the 1973 BMW 2002, which had that really cool uh, package. It was pretty much white, a white car with red and blue rocker stripes. Uh, really cool. As well as the 1976 Saab. Now, if you go back to... R.M. Sotheby's Auburn Auction, not this last Labor Day, but the Labor Day prior, you'll know that I fell in love with one of my clients, Oldsmobile Jetfires. I had never seen one of these cars before, 1962. It was kind of like a, a tannish beige, but it had a beautiful dark tan interior. I mean, just immaculate little car, and it actually was the first turbo V8 car ever 
So you pop the hood and it just looked out of this world. Really, really cool. Apparently not the best engine in the world or the best turbo, but it was just something you never, ever saw. And now that particular car did not sell at the Auburn auction. Now, one of my jobs as a car specialist is I would try to sell the car post-sale, which I was able to do so. And uh, so it did move on to a new owner, but that was such a cool, neat little car. In 1965, we have the introduction of the 8-track player. And again, for our younger audience members, please Wikipedia that. That was introduced by Ford and Motorola, so there wasn't an actual make-model car that it was introduced on. It was just available that year. In 1966, we had the first heated seats in the 1966 Cadillac DeVille, driver's seat only on the 1972 Saab 99 and 96. So we're seeing quite a few of these first happening with Saab. That's pretty cool. In 1968, we had the first car stereo with preset buttons for stations and left and, li- left and right speakers, which was the Becker Europa. So Becker was very innovative. A lot, they've popped in here a lot on this list. In 1969, headrests were mandatory on U.S. cars in 1969. And also in 1969, we had the first imported Honda, the N600 was introduced to the United States as a 600 sedan in 1969 as a 1970 model and was the first Honda automobile to be officially exported to the United States by the Honda Motor Company. A small number of sports cars had been imported privately in the years prior. Now you have the Honda N600, I guess, and I think there's an S800, which came after this car. Both great little cars, coupe, I believe, and convertible form for both. At our Elkhart sale last year, we had one of each, and I thought, boy, that'd be a great little car to walk away from, but, you know, walk away with, but then I sat in one of them, and I almost couldn't get out, so (laughs) I decided not to buy that car. In 1970, we have our first cassette player, so the first aftermarket offering was in 1968 and became standard throughout the 1970s, so again, not nailed down to an exact car and model. In 1970 as well, we have variable speed windshield wipers, intermittent wipers as we know them today, and that was first introduced on the 1970 Lincoln Continental. In 1971, the first example of traction traction control was in the 1971 Buick Max Track traction control system. I've never seen that on a car. That would be kind of cool to see. In 1973, we have our first airbags available in the Oldsmobile Tornado. And it was an option on 1975 models for full-size Buicks, Oldsmobiles, and Cadillacs for drivers and passengers. So those have been around a lot longer than I thought. And in 1975, we, we have automatic seatbelts. So Volvo tried to develop a passive three-point seatbelt. In 1973, Volkswagen announced they had a functional passive seatbelt. For the first commercial car to use automatic seatbelts was the 1975 Volkswagen Golf. Okay, we're getting towards the end here. Let's see. 1978, we had ABS was introduced. How about the fact that ABS was first tested on aircraft and railways? Yes, the first form of anti-slipping systems were experimental and implemented in rail and aviation industries during the mid-1950s, including Royal Air Force fighter planes, the Concorde, and a lot of diesel locomotives. So those were around for a very long time, or ABS systems were around for a very long time. However, the initial form of ABS, as we know today, was introduced on a W116 Mercedes-Benz S-Class in 1978. It became the first four-wheel multi-channel anti-lock brake system, which would soon revolutionize the automotive industry. The system was developed by Bosch and Daimler. 
1978 as well, we have the first example of four-wheel steering on the Porsche 928 with the Visoc axle, spelled with a W, and in America on the 1987 Honda Prelude. So I guess that wasn't available in Asia, but it was available in America. In 1981, we had the first twin-turbo car, which actually turned out to be a horrible twin-turbo car. <laughs> the 1981 to 1994, wow, that lasted a long time. Maserati Bi-Turbo was the first production car to use twin-turbochargers. The Bi-Turbo used a 90-degree single-overhead cam V6 engine with one turbocharger per cylinder bank. Parallel configurations have also been used on engines with more than two turbochargers. All right, 1985, we had the first CD player. The first factory-installed in-desk CD player was Becker, Becker's Mexico Compact Disc in Mercedes-Benz's. Wow, Becker's been at it. In 1986, we had the first touchscreen in a Buick Riviera. I can't imagine that was very good, and I bet it didn't last that long. In 1988, we had the first heads-up display on the Cutlass Supreme Indy Pace Car Replica. And the first color HUD heads-up display was in the 1996 Corvette. Now, if you haven't seen that Cutlass Supreme Indy Pace Car replica, if I'm correct, it's actually a convertible, and it has the roll bar hoop in the back, which is really nice. All right, the Verse V10. It shocked me that the first V10 applied in a car wasn't until 1992. I'm sure all of you can guess the car, but let's talk about it a little bit here. The first record of a V10 was actually built in 1936 for a train, Dodge was the first to develop a modern V10 engine, originally designing a version of its LA series small block for use in trucks. However, the engine saw its first production use in in substantially revised form in the Dodge Viper. The original truck version of the engine was eventually used starting in 1994 in a Dodge Ram. It discontinued that application after 2003. So So it sounds like you're 2004 Vipers had a completely unique and different V10. I need to look into that because I did not realize that. Other V10 cars include the Porsche Carrera GT, which it surprised me. Those passed the million-dollar mark recently, which is nuts because a year and a half ago they were like $600,000. The Lexus LFA, which are incredible cars. We just had a Nürburgring version sell for $1.2 million or so. At Monterey, as I mentioned, the Dodge Viper, the Ram Pickup, and the Lamborghini Gallardo. Uh, Also related to the Lamborghini Gallardo would be the Audi R8 with the V10 option. All right, the first example of GPS was in 1995. Uh, Let's see, not really GPS, but the 1990 Acura Legend had a precursor to it. The 1995 Oldsmobile 88 with the GuideStar system was the first mass-produced GPS, which cost about $2,000. It was a test run in rental cars. That's a good way to do it. Test run it in rental cars. All right, direct. Now, this is when we start getting into a lot of different versions of different things, so I had to kind of give up after a while. But the first example of direct injection with electronic management was in 1996 with the Mitsubishi Galant sedan with a four-cylinder and on a V8 in 1997. The first MP3 player was in 1998. It was made by the company called EMPEG, MPEG, and they made the first one for in-dash usage. I did not have an example of what car that first showed up in. Massage seats showed up in the 2000 model Mercedes-Benz in Cadillacs. And night vision first showed up in the 2000 Cadillac DeVille, so Cadillac having some nice innovation first here. 
And then Satellite, again, was in 2000. Satellite streaming was created by Sirius in 2000 and by XM in 2001. Uh, That's when their satellites were launched, so they couldn't really do it before then. So they got their satellites up in orbit in 2000 and 2001, and that's when they started having them available as accessories on cars. And the last one, Shocks with Magnetized Fluid. That was first available in the 2002 Cadillac STS and the 50th anniversary Corvette. And 2002 is basically where I stopped because if I kept on going, there were so many new, innovative, cool features put on cars every, like, six weeks. It would have been impossible to capture them all in. Many of them, I don't know what they are, and you probably don't either. So that's where I stopped. Again, thank you, as always, for listening to the Collector Car Podcast, and I will talk to all of you next week. Thanks for listening to the Collector Car Podcast. Don't forget to give us a nice rating on iTunes and be sure to follow us on Instagram and everywhere else at the Collector Car Podcast.